The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Passion. It is Trouble Tuesdays, the night I reserve to answer your questions all evening long. You can uh, text them in at 514-800. You can call in certainly at 514-7900-800. And you can email them to me as well to laurie at drlaurie.com. And I do get quite a few by email because I guess it's a lot more space to be able to give uh, more details. So anything, any which way that you want get your questions uh, answered, uh, questions about love, sex, relationships, you have something to talk out, share them with me. And if you want to get our, our listeners perspective on things as well, you can also do that. And if you have anything to add to any of the, uh, the questions that I'm answering by your own experiences or your own thoughts, or maybe I missed something or you have information I don't have, I certainly welcome that as well. All right, let's uh, let's begin. Uh, hi, Dr. Lori. I like your pioneering show. That's the first time I've heard that. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for uh, calling it that. I am a straight woman who has always liked to admire good-looking men, be they gay or straight, beefy or skinny. I am in between relationships. I like to watch gay male porn. I have invited six or seven of my female friends to watch gay male porn with me, but they all turned me down. I wonder what percentage of women like to watch gay male porn. Men commonly watch straight porn or gay male porn in small groups. I wonder if I can find women like me. So a couple of things here that um, that I can add. Uh, first of all, women, like studies have shown that women uh, can be aroused by just about any kind of porn. So whether it's lesbian porn, gay porn, straight porn, and it doesn't matter whether they're gay or straight for, for women, which is very different for men. And there was uh, some interesting studies done on this where they uh, showed uh, all the different kinds of porn to straight women and, and gay women and straight men and, and gay men. And gay men were attracted to gay porn and straight men were attracted or aroused by straight porn but women all kinds of porn did it for them the the issue here might not be that these women don't like it but it's kind of, they might feel a little uncomfortable uh having a porn party you know <laughs> oftentimes porn is watched in in private it's accompanied with masturbation or what have you and maybe your female friends just did not feel at ease uh, participating in, in this kind of um, um, girls' night out. I don't know. Uh, to me, that's that's what I think it would be. And, you know, we still have a lot of um, more taboos around uh, f- women and, and sexuality. And men talk about it a lot. Like they talk about the porn they watch. Women don't. Women make up about 30%, a little more than 30% of porn viewers. Uh, but they don't talk about it as uh, as much. So I think that's more what's uh, what's going on. So uh, if you are a woman who likes to uh, also watch gay male porn, then uh, text me. This will help our listener feel not so alone. But there are definitely uh, women like you around, for sure. 
Uh, texter writes in, I love when I get the feedback after uh, one of these things and people write back, right? Or, or they write back, they text back. Uh, Dr. Lori, thank you. About a week and a half ago, I texted about being parents to young kids struggling to keep up our sex life. Last week, we had sex three times in four days. It was amazing. We're really trying to make time now. Thank you. Well, I'm glad I had a small part to play in that. Uh, I'm really happy. I'm happy that you are um, taking some advice, some of my advice, and and making it work. Good for you. takes just a little effort and being uh, conscious, like conscious about what you need to do, right? And bringing it to the forefront. A little more than, this is another feedback email I just got. Hi, doctor. A little more than 10 years ago... 10 years ago, I emailed you about my problem with premature ejaculation. I was looking for guidance, uh, and I talked about uh, antidepressants, and you know what I always talk about when it comes to premature ejaculation. Anyway, I was prescribed antidepressants with fantastic results. So firstly, thanks for the advice. It took a lot of courage to go through the process, but it changed my life. If you were ever interested in hearing my story, I think it may give many dudes the courage to go and see a doctor. Uh, so yes, I'm again, thank you for the feedback. It's oftentimes, you know, I can, I give out advice and, and I talk to people. I never know the follow-up. Like, I, I don't know, did, did it work? Did, uh, you know, are things better? Like, so I really love it when, uh, you do, um, you do write me back. So there you go. Uh, this is one form of treatment for premature ejaculation, low dose antidepressant, and it works for a lot of uh, men. It works beautifully, in fact, as this guy. So way to go. And thank you so much for writing in. Another email, uh, Dr. Petito, my extended family several years ago went through a young male transitioning. It was devastating for not only the boy, but also the family, in large part because of the lack of knowledge. In this particular case, there, there were very strong feminine attributes associated with the young men. And then he, he sends me an, a link to an article. As shown in the article, the dimorphic ratio based on average testosterone levels are dropping rapidly in modern society. So it's an article that shows that there is a generational decline in testosterone levels. Uh, this appears to be impacting sperm count, sperm quality, and gender perception. As the hormonal difference between men and women decreases, there are going to be a host of biological and behavioral changes for society to deal with. To make this big of a shift in just a couple of generations is going to cause a great deal of conflict. I believe we have a responsibility to understand how this hormonal shift is impacting our children. Just knowing that there are biological factors in play for families struggling with these issues is important. This is impacting both heterosexual and homosexual behavior and appears to also be a major factor in declining sperm count and quality. So I had a look at this article uh, from a a scientific uh, journal, uh, and it doesn't say anywhere that it, it was looking at testosterone decline in an older population, first of all, And it does talk about, I guess, sperm count and and quality, but nowhere does it mention the impact on uh, homosexual, for example, behavior or trans behavior. But I I looked a little bit deeper to look at the evidence again. And um, in terms of sexual gender identity and sexual orientation 
are actually affected by prenatal exposure, prenatal exposure. So it's not about the, um, it's a prenatal exposure to testosterone and feminized it in the absence of testosterone. They have found this in animals. Uh, but the study that the link that you gave me in that study does not did not measure women's uh, level of testosterone levels because women also produce a, a certain level of testosterone. So what we know is that there's a definitely a biological contribution to the development of an individual's sexual identity and sexual orientation. That we know, but it is in uh, in utero, in the prenatal stages, there is some genetic component as well. There's some, but but the latest research has shown like multiple variants of genes are responsible for it too. So um, we have to remember that uh, all of this happens in the brain at a very uh, early, like in the stage of brain development in utero. Um, so anyway, that's the, there's a biological basis for it. So I'm not sure if we're, what we're going to see, if we're going to see a difference, if, if this um, uh, lowering of testosterone, because it, I, it's not like people are born with low testosterone necessarily. It's that testosterone declines. Um, so we're, we're going to have to keep a, an eye out for that one. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk about a woman having a secret relationship with another woman. I'll tell you this situation. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Trouble Tuesday, sitting on the program. Would love to hear uh, your questions, your thoughts as well on, on some of the uh, questions I'm answering tonight. 514-800 to text in, or you can call in at 514-790-0800. You can also feel uh, free to email me anytime to laurie at drlaurie.com. I'm a 45-year-old woman who has been having a secret sexual relationship with the same woman since I was a teenager. It started as an experimental thing that never seemed to end. I was married for over 20 years. She is still married, and we both keep it a secret. Uh, I find sex with her very passionate and sensual, unlike sex with a man, but I love sex with men very much. We've always been best friends and we know more about each other than our husbands. Since my divorce, I find myself desiring her more. Um, I do love her as a friend and lover, but since I became single, her husband has been making subtle advances towards me and I'm in a crossroads whether I should tell her or not. I pretend not to notice his advances and even ignore him at times. They have invited me for Christmas dinner, which I accepted. Should I tell her uh, tell her or take him aside and outright tell him to stop. So what would you, uh, what would you do if, uh, first of all, there's a few issues going on here, but let's just say the question, your friends, your best friend's husband is making advances on you. What do you do? Do you confront him? Do you let your friend know? What would you do? So a couple of things. First of all, clearly you, you are bisexual. Okay. There's that, but let me just, I want to get this straight. So but she's cheating on her husband with you and has since the beginning, you cheated on your husband with her. All right. So that's going on there. 
Now he wants to cheat on his wife with you as well. Boy, does this put you in the middle of some, <laughs> I don't even know what kind of drama. Um, but having said that, first of all, I personally, I would tell, tell him that he's making you uncomfortable. I would just say, Hey, you're making me uncomfortable. So just stop this kind of behavior. You're making me uncomfortable. If you start to tell her, I would question, uh, your motives too. Are you trying, if you tell her, are you hoping that she breaks up with him and ends up just with you? Like it's try and examine what your, uh, motivation would be in, uh, in all of this, but potentially a very messy, uh, situation. Uh, another texter writes in, I'm in a lesbian relationship with a woman who is 27 years older than me. Uh, sex is great, but I seem to want it all the time and her not so much. Is this normal? So she's 27 years older than you. So I'm guessing she's in her fifties and you're in your thirties. Let's say if I guess that. So She's probably menopausal or postmenopausal, which means yes, that sexual desire uh, will can can reduce for sure. Uh, One thing for certain, her sexual desire may be uh, may be less than spontaneous, so she may not have just this uh, like easily aroused kind of thing or excited. But that doesn't mean that she wouldn't enjoy the sex when it does happen. So she would be responsive to sexual touch and that would, that that's when her desire would kick in. So whether women are in lesbian relationships or straight relationships, oftentimes this is how women respond in their, uh, in their desire. It may not be spontaneous, but it's still, uh, responsive. You should, so it's not that it's abnormal. It's, uh, you want it all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. She wants it much less nothing wrong with that either, but it, what becomes wrong is when you have some frustrations in the couple and you're not talking about it. So what's important here is to, to talk about it and come up with some kind of compromise, uh, together because sex in a, in a relationship is also something that you can compromise and negotiate. You want it seven times a week. I want it uh, once a week. So let's find a middle ground somewhere and let's make it, let's see what the impediments to, uh, to having sex together is. So is she highly stressed? Is she depending on what else is going on in her, in her life as well? Sex isn't just like it's, it happens in the context of life. And for some people, life gets in the way of sexual desire and, and sexual frequency and all of that. So those would be the things I would explore. And if, uh, if you can't resolve it together, then, then seek out some counseling. I mean, especially if this is a, a serious relationship or a long-term relationship, then, uh, it would be helpful to seek someone to seek help together actually, and, and work on that. I was wondering, my ex-husband was an artist and some of his friends were artists and found them all to be passionate about everything, especially their wives or girlfriends. Artists and creative people like that, like that, have that in common. 
the poet who writes you those poems, this is for you, passion poet, some of those poems are incredibly creative and was wondering if you know who he is or something about him. A few of the poems touched my heart, all made me smile. So I hope you're listening to our passion poet who tends to send in poems every night. Um, that's feedback uh, for you. And unfortunately, no, I, I, I know very little, except that he has a girlfriend, which he has talked about. So... Uh, that's about it. Now, creative people, I don't know, can we make that big generalization? I think anybody who's passionate about anything they do, anybody who has passion in their life, I'm not talking about sexual passion, uh, but who are passionate about the things they do are also more interesting people and, and tend to have more satisfying, even more satisfying sex lives because they bring the passion from their lives into the bedroom as well. So, and this is advice for people who find themselves to be in a kind of blah situation or boring, their relationships are boring. Find something that you're passionate about and go out and do it. You know, do, do things that make you feel, uh, good, get involved in things. Um, we have, like, this is something that each and every one of us should really, uh, strive to do because it, it, it just makes everything better, right? When you can be passionate about things. Um, uh, let's see, what if, uh, my husband wants me to do something that I'm, I'm uncomfortable with or is kind of gross? What would you, what, what would you guys tell this person? What if my husband wants me to do something that I'm uncomfortable with or is kind of gross? You know, we all have a right to uh, say yes and no to uh, different sexual activities. We all have our limits. We all have our boundaries. And I think it's important that we do. Like having boundaries is a very important thing, even in the bedroom. Then that doesn't mean that you need to stay closed off to any kind of experimentation or that those boundaries don't change with time. Sometimes we can have sex a certain way and find certain things arousing. And as time goes on, we uh, might be introduced to certain things or we discover something. Like I know a lot of couples who discovered, for example, kinkier sex, like BDSM and things much later in in their uh, relationship. So sometimes our needs change and our openness might change, our exposure might change, things like that. But if you are uncomfortable right now, you have every right to say, I'm sorry, I'm uncomfortable with this. And, and as much as I know it's something that you may, uh, you may want to try, I'm, especially if, if you're grossed out by it, if like there's an aversion to it, that's even worse than just uncomfortable discomfort. You can, we can get over, um, by slow, like easing into something, but when something grosses you out, that's completely something, uh, uh, something else. But if you take an example, so let's say, uh, your husband wants you to, uh, uh, slap his butt. Okay. Like, like hurt him in, in somehow. Okay. I can see where maybe you're uncomfortable. It's not your usual thing. It's not something you like, but 
it might be something that's uh, tame enough that you could experiment with just for the sake of your partner. If your partner is insisting, for example, on having anal sex with you and you're like, no, this is really makes me uncomfortable or this grosses me out or I'm very much afraid of this or what have you, they have no right to push you into and to insist or to to keep at you to do something that they want that, that you have clearly stated makes you very uncomfortable and is a no-go zone for you. You ha- We all have a right to this. And as one texter writes in, consent even in marriage. Absolutely consent even in marriage. All, it's your body. It's your personal sexuality as well. And uh, yes, we need to consent. Just because you're married doesn't mean your partner has a right. I think, was it last night that I had a question about somebody who sent in, does my, does my wife have a right to say no to, to something they want to do? Of course they have a right to say, uh, no marriage doesn't give you license, at least not in this country. Uh, you don't own your partner or anything like that. In some cultures, unfortunately, we still, um, Marriage is still viewed as as uh, something that like women are is, are people that men own and that they feel they can do whatever, uh, beat them, rape them, whatever it is, and that is not not good and not cool and this does not happen. Well, it could happen here, but it should not happen here. Uh, this is not the way we uh, we we see things. So consent, even in marriage is, uh, is a must, but discussions, you should be able to have discussions about sexuality, uh, together. Uh, coming up transmission of a yeast infection to a male partner. We'll answer that question next after we check in with the CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised from the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak. You're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Trouble Tuesday sound on the program. I answer your questions all evening long, uh, 514-800 to text in. And, and also your thoughts, your feedback, maybe your own two cents uh, to any, uh, to, if you want to add anything to some of the questions I've answered here. Some of them require opinions and your opinions are valuable to me and to uh, people who write in as well. 514-800, uh, you can call in at 514-790-0800. You can email me anytime to laurie at drlaurie.com. Com. Uh, my girlfriend gave me a yeast infection around the head of my penis, not circumcised. It's reddish. I purchased canestin uh, for women. Will this help me or should I go see a doctor for a prescription? So th- that's a very uh, good question because we often think of yeast infections as a female problem or female health problem, but it can affect men as well, and they can get it in various uh, various ways. But it should be treated, otherwise it can get passed back and forth, but also can lead to certain complications and become pretty painful and uncomfortable if not treating. So yes, over-the-counter medications like the canestin can certainly clear up um, a, a yeast infection. Uh, but, uh, well, let's, let's just take a look at some of the symptoms of a penile, uh, yeast infection, first of all. So you're right. There uh, is often a red rash and sometimes white, 
uh, little shiny patches on the penis. The skin on the penis can be, um, may stay moist and you may notice a thick white substance which is found under the foreskin or whatever folds of skin that are there. Uh, you may experience itching and burning the same way that women experience as well. Of course, some of these can be a sign of another sexually transmitted infections, but let's, let's just go with the, with yeast infection. So a yeast infection is caused by a fungus and the fungus is called candida, uh, which, uh, and when there's an overgrowth of candida, cause we all have a little bit in our system, it uh, develops into a yeast infection, but yeast infections need a moist environment for it to, uh, to, to build and, and spread. Right. And, um, of course, one of the most common causes of this is unprotected sexual intercourse with a woman who has a vaginal yeast infection, but some men can develop, uh, yeast infections without sexual activity. And some of the things that make them more vulnerable is, uh, poor hygiene, for example. So other risk factors besides poor hygiene that can increase your odds of developing a penile yeast infection, being uncircumcised is also a major risk factor because you have under the foreskin that can be a a breeding ground for uh, candida. If you don't bathe regularly or if you don't properly clean your genitals, that also puts you at risk. People who are on, uh, who use antibiotics for a, a long time are also more at risk. People who are diabetic are more at risk and people who are obese are more at risk as well. So, uh, the best thing to do is to use a topical, uh, antifungal ointment, which should clear up the infection. These are over, over the counter. So you actually will not need a, uh, a prescription for this, but if you have a more serious infection or one that doesn't seem to go away, then you're going to need uh, a prescription medication. That's, uh, probably stronger like a hydrocortisone cream, uh, or something like that. So, uh, if, uh, if they keep happening, your doctor might also recommend more frequent, uh, treatments like a weekly treatments for this. So, um, the other thing too, that they recommend if, if you don't respond well to any of the, uh, the ointments and you are uncircumcised, sometimes it's recommended and advised to, uh, to actually get a circumcision, even, um, as a grown-up. So that's, uh, about circumcisions and, uh, not, well, it's about yeast really. All right. Uh, 514-800. I am uh, 52 years old. Uh, 18 months ago, overnight, I stopped ejaculation. I still have an orgasm, but no ejaculate comes out. So the orgasm is not as intense. I saw a urologist and he said it's normal. I had a vasectomy done 20 years ago and he thinks there might be a blockage. Is there something I can do? Is there something I can do? Uh, I'm not sure what you can do. It might mean that there's, you're having the orgasm. So that's a good thing. 
the you might be having something called retrograde ejaculation so instead of coming out it goes in and you would know this if um after uh, like after sex you urinated and and your urine was very cloudy that would give you an indication that's going in there's not it, there's no danger it's not a this is not something that you have to treat or something that you have to do anything about it does happen um I'm not sure why the you know why this happened overnight like that that part if your urologist says there might be a blockage and there might be a blockage but I don't know if it's worth going through any kind of surgery to unblock only a urologist can tell you what they need to do or what they would have to do for that but I can't think of any other treatment that would uh that would help so not not quite sure about that uh hey Lori, is it safe and healthier to wash your private parts after intercourse i'm not with many girls only my girlfriend does it reduce the risk of any kind of hpv or std i don't know if if you're exposed to uh to an sti through um, bodily fluids, once the exposure is there, even if you wash yourself, you might have still caught it. It's always a good idea to wash your private parts, as I just uh, talked about earlier, in terms of a yeast infection, for example, especially if you're uncircumcised, you would want to wash because that it, it becomes that breeding ground, right? So you don't, uh, you don't want that. So it's certainly helpful. It's certainly good uh, to, uh, to wash your private parts. But I'm assuming if you're only with one woman and she's your girlfriend, then you're both monogamous and have agreed to be monogamous only with each other and you've been tested before, then you really don't have much to worry about. You wouldn't, it would, there was no, there would be very little risk if, uh, if both of you have been tested and, and everything is, uh, is good. So, but you know, washing is always a, a good idea. Uh, my penis is not getting hard or very strong when we have intercourse. What can I do to make it better? So it is hard for me to go deep in here to get my wife pregnant so you don't actually have to go deep to make your partner pregnant you just need to ejaculate so I don't know if you're saying that your penis is not hard enough for penetration when you have intercourse because that would be a problem obviously if you can't penetrate it would be very difficult to make your partner get pregnant but you do not have to go deep so if you're still able uh, to um, insert your penis if it's hard enough that you can get it in oftentimes you can get uh, the erection there will be more blood flow as you get more uh, aroused but I'd want to know like where's the problem is it anxiety is it is there nervousness that you're not getting uh, a full erection so uh, the other thing you can do too is once you get an erection is to put on a penis ring at the base of your penis you can buy those in a in a sex shop for example so uh, that you can maintain that erection until uh, you know until you complete the uh, intercourse so 
yeah, I, I, there's not enough information here for me to know what is going on, actually. All right, if you have questions for me, uh, 514-800, or uh, you can email them to me anytime as well, or please, you can talk, you can, you know, add your own uh, two cents. Coming up, a question about uh, older age virgins. Maybe you'll have something to say about that. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. You still have a bit of time left to get your questions in about love, sex, and relationships on this Trouble Tuesdays. 514-800 to text in. And actually, I would love some men to text in on this one. Uh, this, this person wrote in, could you do a show about what men think about 30-year-old virgins? I'm not going to do a whole show, but I'll put out the question right now. So, it, guys, if you're dating and you found out that uh, the person you're dating was still a virgin and 30 years old, how would you feel about that? Or what would that mean? I guess I'm not sure what you, what you want to hear from them, but um, how would... I guess, how would you respond? Would you still want to go out with someone who was 30 and a virgin? Is this something that would uh, would bother you? I guess for the person writing in, I would ask, so is are you a virgin by choice? Is this, uh, are there, do you, have you had fears? Have you not had any kinds of love relationships? Have you ever had a, a long-term relationship? And what what has stopped you from, uh, from being sexual in the past. Those would be some of the questions that I have. But if anybody has any any thoughts that they want to share on that, uh, then I'm sure uh, our listener would want to know. Uh, well, here's somebody uh, who says, My girlfriend is a virgin. We've tried sexual intercourse, but it is too painful, and we stopped. What is the best way to achieve penetration? So I would want to know what, um, okay, is there a fear on your girlfriend's part? So if somebody is really nervous and fearful about intercourse, which I've seen on m multiple occasions where women are just, have had like really negative messages about sex or have heard from people that it hurts like hell or something, then what ends up happening is the minute there's any close to penetration, they, they just, they, they tense up and their vaginal muscles tense up and it makes penetration almost impossible and certainly very painful because you're trying to break through something like a, like a, what may feel like a wall for the partner may feel like there's a wall there. Uh, and that's because of the, the tension. So I'd want to find out first, is she going through fears? Is she aroused enough? Like, are you practicing a lot of foreplay? Um, does she have trouble putting in tampons? Where is her pain? Is the pain just at the entry? Does she have pain when you put in a finger? Is that possible? So there's a bunch of questions here that I'd want to know. Uh, somebody like this could also work with a pelvic floor physiotherapist who will teach her how to relax her vaginal muscles as well and her whole pelvic floor so that any so that penetration will be much less painful and they they use probes they use dilators uh, in in like 
small size and then they work up to a bigger and bigger size until they can accommodate the size of a penis, for example. So if she's, there's a lot of uh, that going on, it's going on for a long time, don't wait, like make an appointment with a, uh, a pelvic floor physiotherapist and this would be uh, actually very helpful. In fact, the clinic that I, one of the clinics I work at, I have two offices. I have one in Montreal and NDG, but I also work out of uh, a clinic on the West Island called Capino Physio and Wellness Center. We have a pelvic floor physiotherapist there as well who, um, who I work closely with to help not just women, by the way, men too. Men can go see pelvic floor physiotherapists for all kinds of different uh, issues too. And I think one of these days I'm going to have her uh, come on and talk about what she does for men and uh, what she treats for men. So we'll, uh, we'll keep that on the back burner for now. Uh, hello, Dr. Laurie. I enjoy anal sex with my girlfriend a lot and have done that kind of penetration with her quite a few times. But lately, she has been insisting to let me do it to her only if she is under the influence of alcohol. Any way that I can change this outcome? So ask yourself, why is she wanting to be under the influence of alcohol to do this? How does she enjoy, I know you say you enjoy anal sex with your girlfriend. Does she enjoy it? Ask her directly. Is this something that arouses you? Is this something that, that you get pleasure out of, or is she doing this just for your benefit? Uh, I think that's a really important point here. Okay. If she's just doing it for your benefit, maybe it's time to switch and do something else. Um, because it wouldn't be fair to her. Maybe what she's trying to do is numb out on alcohol so she doesn't feel the pain or whatever it is. Like you'd have to have a discussion with her to see what's going on. And I mean, what do you want to, what's the outcome you want to change? You, if you're saying, well, I really want her to be into it sober. Well, what if she's not into it? What if this is not something that she actually enjoys doing, but hasn't told you this? Like I, this is a question I would have. And I've known, unfortunately, plenty of women who will do things they don't want necessarily to do. I mean, they agree to it, but it's not necessarily something that they love or that they, uh, they really enjoy. So is that why she wants to use alcohol? Oh, I can't answer that question. Only she can answer that question, right? But it's cer certainly something I would want to find out for sure. I think I have time for uh, last question. I'm recently starting dating again, and I'm wondering about options for contraception for a 48-year-old 48 woman. Is the pill a good option for over 40-year-olds? Uh, Condoms are not a great option as he is on the small side, and, and with my lubrication, they just don't seem to stay in place. Uh, I was married for a long time with rare intercourse and did not use contraception, but I still have a regular cycle. What are my options? So I think the best option, first of all, at 48 years old, the pill would not be a good idea. Uh, and, and you barely actually even need contraception at 48. The likelihood of becoming pregnant spontaneously at 48 is very, very low. 
so probably your best option would be a copper IUD. It's non-hormonal. It gets placed in there and you don't have to think about it. You just have to remove it every, I don't even know how many years it can stay in there, but quite a few, uh, quite a few. And then it's fine. But you really, you wouldn't need it for very long to tell you the truth because once you go through menopause in the next, you know, two to five years, um, no chance of you getting pregnant anyway. Well, that's it. Thank you for all of your uh, questions. Really do uh, do appreciate it. Actually, one last texter says, for the guy who is dating a virgin, take your time, lube a lot, penetrate only a little at a time, just the head till she gets used to it, then more and more as she stretches and adjusts to your size. Well said. Honorary sex therapist right there. All right. That's good advice. Thank you. You can send me your questions anytime, by the way, to lori at drlori.com or just go to my website, drlori.com, and, and uh, fill out the contact form there. And just listen in. I uh, answer your questions at the beginning of every show, and I'm happy to do that. So uh, do send them in whenever you feel like it. Or at the beginning of the show, just text it in. Thank you so much to our technical producer, Dave Simon, tonight. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through the website. Don't forget that on the website too, you have access to all the past shows. So they're all there for you to listen to whenever you want. And there you've got titles there and dates and, and all of that. Uh, coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. <laughs>